this morning, what we're doing is we're going on with what Reverend Chris started last week. Last week, Reverend Chris, he spoke about the ten virgins and how we should be preparing for the return of Christ. And we are continuing with that today. I want to share with us what this preparation for Christ's return might look like. And for this, we will be looking at the parable of the fig tree taken from Luke 13, verses 6 to 9. So, uh, shall we take a look at the passage together? And uh, let's read this passage together. Last week, we read 13 verses. This week, we'll read, we'll read 3. Lah, right? uh, so, let's read this from the top. Uh, Luke 13, verses 6 to 9. Uh, 1, 2, 3. He spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, for three years I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well. But if not, after that, you can cut it down. Let us pray. May the words of my lips and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Christ, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So to start this sermon, I first want to say something, that this sermon is for each and every one of us, myself included. Very obvious, right? But why I say this is because last week, Reverend Chris, he said he cannot worship for, for you. He cannot go on mission for any of us. And he cannot, he cannot do good works and, and transfer it to us. We must take charge of our own faith and we must be the ones preparing ourselves for the return of Christ because nothing and no one can do that for us. And in our text, the vineyard actually uh, in this parable refers to all of us, each and every of, each and every one of us in the body of believers. Where do we get this? Well, we get this from the immediate verses before the parable starts. So in verse, in Luke 13, verses 4 to 5, uh, we get a bit of context about this, this parable which we just read. So we can also read this together. Okay. One, two, three. Of those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. One of so this thing sort of comes out from nowhere, right? But why Jesus mentioned this to the people he was preaching to at that moment was because they were looking at each other and saying, Why don't why doesn't God punish the wicked? Why doesn't he punish Herod, who who mingled the blood of the Jews with the sacrifice? Shouldn't God punish him. Wasn't he a worse sinner than me? And others a worse sinner than me. They need to hear this sermon, right? And this reminds me of a story uh, when I was much younger and much more foolish. So one day I was, I, I was sitting somewhere at the back and I think, I think SP was preaching and he was preaching on forgiveness. So 
when I was listening to this, his sermon, I was like, wow, this sermon, this sermon is a rocker. This is very good. He's hitting out of the park. I know this sermon is for my friend. <laughs> right? So immediately I took out my phone and I was like, oh, you gotta listen to this sermon today. It's very good. And this is exactly what Jesus was trying to avoid. He was saying, no, don't look at all these other people. Look at yourself. This, and his, his call for repentance in this parable is not like, oh, this person needs to hear, that person needs to hear. We all need to hear, myself included. So, uh, I will say this, this sermon is for me. And can all of you do a favour? Just look to your left and right at your fa- more, more favourite person on your left and right. And just say, this sermon is for me. Thank you, I don't feel so alone now. Okay, so let us pray. May the words of my lips and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Christ, our rock and our redeemer. Yeah, sometimes we just say that, right? Uh, But we rarely understand what that means. So, back to the parable. So in the parable, what's very interesting here is that the the master or the owner of the vineyard, he was walking through the vineyard, right? And he was looking for fruit. So I asked all of us here, when you get your monthly pay, do you ask them to give you a $1 coin so that you can count one by one, this is $1, $2, $3, $4, $1,000, then next month already, then you can count again, right? No, none of us do that. We just look at our bank account, and we see, okay, the number is there. Or if you are counting your expenses, right, what you spend on the whole year. And my wife is very good at this because she wanted to save money. Because she spent most of her money. <laughs> what she will do is that she will keep all track of everything she buy, right? And then she will put it on a spreadsheet. Who here, if you keep track of what you buy, you will go and find each and every inventory. You take inventory of your whole house, right? Okay, everything is there. Who, who will do it? Or will you look at your spreadsheet? Look at spreadsheet, right? It's easier. It's better. And that serves your purpose. But this, mas- this master of the vineyard, or owner of the vineyard, what was he doing? He went down to this specific tree looking for figs. It's amazing because it's not even... Uh, it's his vineyard, but he doesn't need to know how to plant it. Right? All he needs to know how is to spend money. But he knows which tree, exactly which tree it is. And he goes down looking for fruit. And this is how, in the same way, God comes to each of us. He doesn't look at, he doesn't ask you, oh, hi, uh, what's your name? And then you tell him your name, and then you say, are you a member of Kuz? Then he's like, yes, I'm a member of Kuz. Then he's like, okay, give me a moment. Then he take out the Kuz book, the X of Kuz, then he open it, and he, wow, Kuz does a lot of work. Huh? This year, we went to visit how many households? How many, you, you, your church visited how many homeless? You sent how many people to missions? Wow! You are fruitful. Do you think that's how God will look at each and every one of us? No. This parable tells us not. He don't really care about your affiliation to which mega church or to which on fire church, whether you are heart of God or God of heart, whatever. He's not that interested. God is very interested 
in you and His fruit in your life. And this parable tells me that God is seeking fruit in each of each and every one of our lives, whether young or old, whether full of energy or a bit tired. God is looking for fruit in every one of our lives. And this can be a bit intimidating. Oh, God, his eyes searching to and fro, you know, the whole earth, and trying to find exactly who will follow him, who will fear his name. You know, and he's looking at you. He's looking at you. And it can feel a bit intimidating. But for me, it's actually quite encouraging. That means that no matter what kind of circumstance you're finding yourself, whether you think it's too late for you, or whether you think, wow, this world, whole world is full of promise. God, God feels that your life can be fruitful and should be fruitful. And God is moving heaven and earth to make your life fruitful, to bear fruit for Him. That's why I find it so encouraging. And if you think, like the word released earlier by Pastor Charlie, like you have reached a dead end, that is not God's end for you. God's end for you is fruitfulness in His kingdom. So, what is this fruit? Well, I would like to tell us a story so that we can maybe think about what is the fruit of God in our lives together. So, this story uh, starts off with a man, and his name is Sunny. Sunny is smart, he's creative and hardworking. Maybe I should call him Benjamin. But if you want to hate him more, he's also very tall and very handsome. So unlike some Benjamins I know. Um, and of course, like, that, that's the kind of guy, right? You look at him and then you're like, wow, Lord, thank you for this, for Sonny. Strike him. Strike him out. <laughs> right? And the worst part about this is Sonny knows this himself. He knows he's smarter than people around him. He knows he's more creative. He knows all this. He knows he's more handsome and all that. And he wants to be somebody in this world. He wants people to, strangers to look at him and call his name. And so he works very, very hard. He's very disciplined. Wake up at 4 a.m., go for a run, sleep at 4 a.m. Eh? <laughs> and in fact, he rises very quickly up the corporate ladder. And worse still, he falls in love with a, or a beautiful girl, falls head and, and shoulders in love with him. And they have a beautiful, bouncing son. And so, but having all this, Sunny still wants more. He wants to be right at the top. So Sunny tells his wife, after they realize that having a son is quite busy, busy work, he tells his wife that he will leave the child-rearing of their son largely to her. And he will take on the full responsibility of working for their family. He will work hard and succeed for his family, right? He will provide, and more importantly, he can model out what true hard work and success, a diligence to, to excellence could achieve so that he can, of course, model it out for their for their son and their family. This, his success is their success. And this was the pitch he gave his wife. And so, like most wives, she was like, she agreed. But you know, it's not like 
yeah, I really believe what you're saying. It's more like, I love you. <laughs> and I want to make this work. And she agreed. Because she, his wife, wanted Sonny's dreams to come true. His son, however, was another matter. The boy, he loved being with his father. And so he would do anything to attract his father's attention. Whether it was something very adorable, like smile, you know, be cute and all that. Or whether it would be something terrible, like rip up the house. He would do anything to get his father's attention. Sonny, however, had no time for his boy. He had to be successful. He had to provide for, for his family. He had to be that role model so that Sonny would know what is good, what it's like to be good in this world, what, what it's like to be excellent. So, what did Sonny do? He ignored his son and concentrated on his work. No matter how adorable his son would be, or no matter how terrible he, would, he was, he would leave this child to his mom's care alone. So what would happen is that over time, his son would learn that no matter what he did, no matter what he did in his life, his father would never choose to be with him over his work. The boy would eventually give up. And one day, when he was old enough, he would leave home, never to return. That boy's mother followed suit shortly thereafter. And so it was, it was that 15 years after Sunny started, he became someone in the world. He appeared on the front page of every magazine as one of the top 10 CEOs in the whole world and also as one of the most eligible bachelors under 40. So I asked us, church, did Sunny's life bear fruit? Who thinks yes? I mean, he became CEO. He appeared on QG magazine. Everybody knew his name. Perhaps a better question is, what fruit do you think Sunny's life bore? Well, I won't keep us in the suspense. Sunny's life bore the fruit of his desires. He got exactly what he wanted. He became exactly who he sought to be. But of course, the question we're asking today and the question we all need to answer ourselves is, would Sunny's life, would our life, point others towards Christ? If you say yes, please come up for prayer after the service. Oftentimes, the fruit we desire to bear can look pleasing to the eye, but be totally sinful in God's eyes. So, what fruit in our lives is God looking for? Well, personally, I don't think God is looking for achievements or accolades that are laid on our shoulders. God will not ask you, what was your return on your investment in 2023? 
He may not even ask you which mission trip you went to. And this is why I titled my sermon, Bearing Evangelical Fruit. What I mean by evangelical fruit is not that we go out immediately after this service, find everybody, and you know, we just cast the, the, the net wide, like, just four spiritual laws 100 times today. It's not possible, by the way. You can do it about 10 times, then you'll be quite tired. <laughs> I, I tried this, it's, it's not bad. You get about 10% hit rate. So, 100 people, 10 people are very good. But it's not that. When the, life talk, when the Bible talks about bearing fruit in our lives, it doesn't generally talk about going out and bringing people into the temple or bringing people into synagogue or even bringing people into the sanctuary of the church. It talks about a transformed life. It talks about a life turned outward from ourselves and towards God. To always turn and follow the commands of God, to love God and to live a life full of that love. And what that means is that people, and why does God want that? Well, first for us, for our own benefit, when we live a life like that, life is truly worth living. But it speaks of an attraction, attracting people to the very power and work of God. Not in the amount of things we do, but through the very people we are. When we become more like Christ, more people get to meet Him because there are more Christs out there in the world. And to, to point this out, if in the story earlier, if Sunny appeared you know, out of the story and into your life, and he said, hey, let's go church this Sunday, and you knew exactly how he treated his family, you know exactly what he did behind closed doors. Would you say, yeah, I, I want to follow you to church? Or would you gossip about him in your small groups, at the water cooler, and amongst your friends? Wow, this guy, talk big talk. You know, he's a big man, but look at him. If we evangelize, but we have no evangelical fruit in our lives. No one will be interested in what we say. In fact, people will look at us and say, hypocrite. Right? Healer, you heal yourself. And this is why God is looking for the evangelical fruit in our lives. Not for us to cover it up with good works, as if those will save us, but to reform our hearts to transform ourselves into the mind of Christ. And if you ask, what is this fruit? Well, uh, thankfully, Paul, St. Paul actually gave us a good, um, a good list of them. And we can find them in Galatians 5, verse 22 to 23. And let's read this together. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. A lot of us know how to further our lives and our careers outside the church. We know how to push, right? And we know how to get ahead. And we know exactly what we want to achieve. But maybe one day, it will be good to experiment, try this. You take this small little slip of paper, 
Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And you just go out there and everything you do, you look at it and then you try and practice one. And I tell you, that would be the same as you, as all of us, trying to get ahead, trying to improve ourselves for our own goals. You know, when I think about this list of nine, this fruit of the Spirit, for me, what, what it occurs to me is the life of Christ. The love of Christ. The love of God is the person of Christ. He found his joy in others. My joy I give to you. Make my joy complete. He gave us his peace. Peace with God and man. And I, I won't go through all of them. But God wants to see Christ blossom in our lives. Because when we do, the world will see Christ and come to Him. So, this sounds like, I mean, as I'm speaking, it, it does sound like a tall order, right? Wow, God expect me to be perfect like Jesus. Well, the true answer is actually yes. Lah. He said be perfect as I am perfect, right, in Leviticus. But I want to tell us this that God is not looking for fruit in an unreasonable way. He is not looking for something you cannot give. In our parable, the vineyard owner doesn't go to the fig tree and say, give me apples, right? Why you have no apple? Why you have no pear? You know, and for some of us, right, who are not really, uh, who are not Really, we're not farmers, not some of us. I don't know any of us who are farmers here, right? We don't know how to grow a pear or a tree. Imagine God asks you, where's my fruit? Then you're like, hold on. Then what apple come down? That is not possible. And first of all, if that happens, please go and see doctor, 995. But God's not thinking about that, right? He's not asking you to produce something you cannot do. He's not asking you to give what you cannot give. And in fact, the funny thing I found out as, I've, as I was reading this thing is that he was, maybe, do you think he was looking for a whole bunch of figs? Like a massive harvest? Do you think he was looking for that? He's looking for one fig. One fruit. Right? One thing. And what that occurs to me is that sometimes what we can give to God is what Oftentimes, what God is looking for is that we give Him what we most lack. You know, uh, when I, some of you may have noticed and have been very kind, and uh, I, I really thank you. Uh, some of you may have noticed that I lost a bit of weight since the start of the year. And um, I, uh, I've been asked this a couple of times, what's your diet? You know, what is the diet you went on? And then I just look at, and those of you who have asked me, you know, like, I look at you straight in the eye and I say, starvation. <laughs> I'm not even kidding, it's true, right? I just don't eat, don't eat a lot, eat much less, and so on and so forth. At the start of the year, right, um, I realized something. I realized that I had, the thing I had a lot of, right, I couldn't give to God. You know what I had a lot of at the start of the year? Fat. I had a lot of fat. And I was like, Lord, I give it to you. Lord, I offer my fat to you. He's not interested. He didn't take it. 
There was no burning sensation in my body and I did not immediately become, have a six pack. It didn't happen that way. I could not offer my fat to the Lord, but there was something I could offer. And that was actually the last fruit in the fruit of the Spirit. Self-control. Right? If at the start of the year you look at you looked at me and said, wow, look at Andrew, a paragon of self-control. <laughs> How to be? Don't kid yourself and don't bluff me. Right? No, I had very little self-control at the start of the year. And maybe I still do. But maybe a bit more. However, I realized I could give God self-control. What I had so little of, I can give. And I found, at least for myself, over time, the more you give, the more God will give you. Yeah. And it's real funny. That's the, that's the fruit of the Spirit. You don't have love? Give a bit. Lah. God will give you more. And that's why I say for each and every one of us, right? Sometimes we feel like, I'm so old already. My branches are petrified. You know? I am who I am. <laughs> but you're not God. Right? <laughs> but God is saying no, you know. That's what you think. If you just give a bit, God will transform your life. He will turn it into something beautiful. He will make springs out of the desert places. And so, that is the fruit that God wants to see in our life. The fruit of the Spirit. And God is ready to give us more. So, right now, we've only got through half the parable. Three verses, right? But it's quite amazing. We've only got through half the parable. We've talked about God, the owner of the vineyard. And we've talked about Him wanting to see fruit and to give us fruit in our lives. But then, who is this keeper of the vineyard that God talks to? Most times when, at least I'm going to use the royal we, but it's not really. Most times when, I don't know whether uh, other people read differently, so I'll just use me. Most times when I read the Bible, read this parable, right, I think, wow, the owner of the vineyard is God the Father. Right? He, he's, a, he's a judger. <laughs> right? And then the, the keeper of the vineyard must be Christ. Right? It's like, no! Start! I will, I will do, I will, I will do all I can to save this tree. And then later you can cut it. First of all, one year is not a lot of mercy, right? Christ's mercy is supposed to be uh, endlessly deep and uh, infinitely wide. So how come one year only, right? And then you think about it, you really think about it. What did Christ say about himself? I only do what the Father does. What the Father tells me, I say. What the Father asks me to do, I do. Where the Father is, there I am also. They are one and the same, you know. So if God asks Jesus to cut down the tree, Jesus will be the first one to like, and then the tree just fall down into half. He'll just summarize that tree, like anything like that. Why? Because delayed obedience is disobedient. And above all, Jesus is obedient to the Father. So this keeper, and God is not split into the owner of the vineyard and the keeper of the vineyard. So who is this keeper? Or what is this keeper supposed to represent? And the keeper of the vineyard can be known by his work. So 
What did he reply? What did this keeper of the vineyard reply to the owner of the vineyard when, the, when he was asked to cut the tree down? He said, in verse 8, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. And although it may seem very plain when you like it, like, just like that, what it means is this keeper of the vineyard, he knew that this tree is not, say, living up to its potential. Right? But more so, he knew what to do for it, for it to bear fruit. He said, stop. Let me do all I can. Let me try to bring fruit out of this barren tree. If it really is barren, then cut it down. And so who might this keeper be in our lives? Well, I'd like to propose that this keeper can actually take the take three different expressions. First, ourselves. Second, others, especially pastors and uh, our sisters and brothers in the faith. And third, God, the full Godhead. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, let's start with the very first one. Ourselves. You know, if we're really honest with ourselves, most of the time, we know what we need to do and in what areas we should be bearing evangelical fruit. You know, I was just telling uh, somebody, I can't remember exactly who, that I know exactly which fruits my wife have and I know exactly which fruit I don't really have as compared to her. And uh, this is very plain. If it, I feel this very plain in each and every one of our lives when we just take a look in the mirror. When we, when we look at ourselves, we know what we are lacking. And of course, this is also seen in the scriptures. 1 Corinthians verse 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 31 says, For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Paul said this in the context of people going to the meal of the Lord and just feasting and eating, getting drunk all over the place. And he, he meant that if those people, if the people coming to the fellowship would simply look and, under, and judge themselves, judge their desires as they're coming for Holy Communion, then no one, would be, no one would be able to judge them and they would not fall under the judgment of God. I want to really say that it is difficult to be honest with ourselves. It is difficult to stand back and judge ourselves. Uh, I say this from experience, right? So, some days, uh, most days, I try to go out, uh, walk my dog, and find an excuse to pray. Lah. And I, I have a couple of set prayers, you know, I pray the Beatitudes, I pray some other, uh, some other set prayers, and those help me center my mind and get myself through the day. But, you know, sometimes, uh, the prior day or the or the prior week would have been quite uh how to say chaotic right and get my heart in turmoil i remember oh this person said this that person said that this person did this oh my god i'm surrounded by nobody here lah, obviously <laughs> they're all current company not uh, it's an exception um 
I'll be, I'll just think, be thinking about it. And scenarios will play in my head, you know. And then the Lord was, then I'll start to pray. <laughs> right? So hypocrite, right? And then the Lord will say, Andrew, deal with this. And you know, I, I'd rather pray. No? I'd rather pray. Because when I deal with it that morning, uh, it's very tiring. I, you, I thought I was tired at the start. I'm more tired at the end. Because I had to step back and judge myself. I had to say, was this my pride? Was this me? Uh, spoiler warning, most of the time it's yes. La. <laughs> yeah. And that's why sometimes we refrain from judging ourselves. Because it's difficult. But the first vine keeper is ourselves. The second is others. Right? Besides ourselves, we also have our own loved ones and our pastors also. So right now, if you're here with your loved one, you just turn to them and say, he's talking about you. <laughs> right? He's talking about you. And you know, the best thing about being in church after these past six years is that I realize every one of our pastors, right, they are really seeking the best in each one of our lives. Every conversation I've ever had, right? Every pastor has been always saying, this will do well for the faith of this individual. I know this person, they need this, and so on and so forth. And I tell you, if you ask your wife, you ask your son, your children especially, what do I need to improve in, right? You will get the real answer if, you're, if they reply you honestly. And maybe that's why we don't ask that so often. It's because we know what they will say. And of course, once again, this is found in Scripture. Galatians 6. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Sometimes the hardest thing to do is listen to people who tell you the truth. However, in this family and this community, this doesn't mean uh, after the sermon, please go and tell every wrong thing that, this was, that your friend has ever done to you. No. It means that in this community, we must actively seek each and every one of us to bear God's fruit and to seek out this truth from our friends and from those who love us. And of course, the last one, the last vine keeper, is God Himself. We do not have ourselves, just have ourselves and each other, but we have God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, actively trying to cultivate evangelical fruit in our lives. In, in Proverbs 3, verse 11 to 12, it says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest His correction. For whom the Lord loves, He corrects. Just as a father, the son in whom he delights. Who here has ever had the, the Lord close a door that you really wanted in front of you? Who here has prayed for promotion, for increase in pay, for change of job, for a child, and have the, door, the Lord close this door in front of you? Don't raise your hand. It's, it's a difficult question. And we wonder why. You know, I was praying for patience at the start of this year. 
I was like, Lord, I realize I'm very impatient. Make me a more patient man. And you know what really uh, challenges patience? Someone coming to you and cussing you out. <laughs> right? They come at you and then, ah, da, 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 da. And then the pastoral response is, thank you. God bless you. <laughs> and in all seriousness, I want to be able to do that. I want to be able to do that to everyone. And so you know what the Lord sent me? More people to cast me up. Right? More people to come and just try to drag me down, uh, complain everything about the church, complain that not being cared about enough and every sort of, every sort of thing. You know, you hate me, God hates me, I hate me, everything. And it's like, thank you. God bless you. And it's this kind of thing, right? You want to pray for love? Beware. <laughs> because God will send you people that are difficult to love. You want to, send, you want to pray for patience? God will test it. Why? Because God's not trying to, to play with you. He also is a vine keeper. He will do things for you that seem harsh, but will bear fruit. He will send people to you that will cultivate your heart, even the difficult people. Why? Because he will, God will send, the Father will send, the Son will love you, and the Holy Spirit will empower you to do this. God is also our vine keeper. He cares for you. He knows exactly what you need. And He will prune you Himself if we will be open for Him to do so. So sometimes we think about this, how God, how there are various vine keepers, ourselves, others, uh, and God. And sometimes we think of it in chronological order. But in fact, these factors often come together all at once to show us the path where we should go. And sometimes God brings to our attention someone we know as an example of how to bear evangelical fruit. One such example is our brother, Joseph Chien. As we heard earlier today, Joseph was a missionary pretty much all his life. And he, if any of you met him, you would always be inspired. At least that's the effect he, have on, he has on me. His eyes are very big. And when he look at you, it is like the Lord looking at you. And sometimes, I must confess, I'm somewhat intimidated because I feel my life should be that way. I feel like I should bear fruit like him. But let me tell you a bit more about Joseph you may not know. Joseph was a two-time... He was born in 1966. And the first notable thing in his life was he failed his O-levels. Uh, second notable thing was he tried to commit suicide after that. He then failed his O-levels again. And his home was not very good. So his friend brought him into uh, their house. And he lived with his mentor for three years. They cooked for him. They were a poor family. They cooked for him. And they taught him about the Bible. And he learned about Jesus from them. 
And he was so inspired by what he learned, so inspired by the love of God, that even then, his life started to bear fruit. In 1989, he became a chaplain's assistant at St. Andrew's School, and up to 1997, where he received a call from God to be a missionary at, y, uh, at YWAM. And this, I suppose, is where another, another of God's pruning or God's fine dressing happened. When he joined YWAM, he joined as a youth pastor, you know. So he was expecting to rise. However, he failed the DTS, Discipleship Training School. And he was asked to step down from all leadership positions across the board. And so what did he do? He took on administrative duties like receptionist, rubbish man, coffee boy, and toilet washer. And he did this for about 18 months. After that, he did it for 12 more months because he found the servant heart of God while he was serving others. In 2025, uh, 2005, he became the YWAM Singapore-based leader. And in 2012, he was asked to take on uh, the national director position for Singapore. And that's pretty much how we know Joseph today, right? Director of YWAM uh, and later on leader of Antioch 21. That year, he would send over 60 missionaries and he would spend the rest of his life inspiring, mentoring, and educating many more through DTS, through his various mission trips. In fact, I went to his, uh, some, a few of his Antioch 21 meetings. Funny enough, he would always cook porridge. Uh, and he was very well known for it, apparently. Uh, everybody said it was delicious, but I was fasting then. So I didn't eat his porridge. But my wife did. She said it was not bad. I think Amy did. She said it was very good. That's a life, you know. That's a life of evangelical fruit. If I've ever seen one. In 2021... Antioch 21. Uh, a Singapore Missions Mobilization Initiative was relaunched and Joseph will eventually take, uh, be at the head. And for the rest of his life, up to recently, uh, this week, uh, Joseph would champion missions, not only for YWAM, not only for select churches, but for the whole of Love Singapore. You know, Joseph Chen is no longer with us. He's with the Lord. But the lives he has touched and the people he has inspired will continue to bring many to Christ. Long after 2023, maybe in 2053, people may not be talking about Joseph, but his work will endure. His work, his life will continue bearing fruit. In my life, if I live up to then, and in the lives of all that he has taught, taught, mentored, inspired, and been with. Evangelical fruit is eternal and rings in eternity. You know, a lot of us we look for what we can do here. God is looking at what 
will last forever. Not his life, not his thing per se, but in your life, in my life. God wants your life to be a ripple that echoes throughout time until eternity. And in following God, Joseph has become that ripple. His life was sound in the hymn of heaven. What about us? We do not know the time nor the hour which Christ will come back or when he will call us back to himself. Joseph did not know the time or the hour he will appear before God for his life to be examined for fruit. But he was ready. He followed God his whole life. And now we know what evangelical fruitfulness is like. And so, to end this sermon, I would like to make a call for us to respond. Right now, I would like all for, for all of us to come to God in prayer. Let us bow our heads and close our eyes. The call is very simple. If you would like to start to bear evangelical fruit in your life, if you would like to live a life that points others to God, that attracts others to Jesus Christ. I want you to spend a moment and ask yourself this. Do I want to live that life? And if the answer is yes, I want you to put up your head right now. Say to God, God, I want to live that life. I want to bear evangelical fruit for you. You may put down your hands. The Lord sees and for whom has responded and perhaps who wish to respond. God will respond to you. Father, I pray, send us your Holy Spirit. May our lives be fruitful for you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let us rise. And I would like us to sing this song of response called Reward. But if you raise your hand just now and you want somebody to pray for you, if you want a blessing that your life may bear evangelical fruit, I would like to invite you to the front to come and pray. And our pastors will pray for God's blessing for your life to bear His fruit. So let us sing this song, Reward.
bear fruit today. Lord, send upon us your Holy Spirit that our eyes may be set on you and our reward in heaven. Lord, let all of these things on earth grow dim, but you, Lord, shine bright in our sight and in our lives. Lord, let us bear fruit so that the world may know a Savior loves them and come and know you forever. So, Lord, we pray, send us out in the power of your Holy Spirit that we may live and work each moment and every day for your glory and that your love may be spread abroad in the hearts of every man. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, church. The, sermons, the service is over. Be blessed and bear fruit for God this week.